Hello, my name is Jordan Tardo, and I'm the lead pastor at Experience Church. I'd like to take a moment and just say thank you so much for tuning in to our podcast today. I hope this message blesses you. I hope it encourages you. I hope it strengthens you for what God has called you to today. Today, I want to talk to you about Psalms chapter 16. Psalms chapter 16. I'm going to read all 11 verses in this chapter, so bear with me a little bit. We're going to do more of an expository teaching. Um, if you don't know what that is, no worries. It's really just verse by verse we're going to take, and we're going to kind of expound on what David, the writer, is talking about. In this text, if you have your Bible, if you look it up, it says the title of this psalm is a miktam psalm, a David's miktam. What does that mean? Uh, theologians believe that this word meant golden or hidden, a hidden secret or a golden hidden secret. And as we read through the text, I believe David's showing us a picture of the secret to life. And so that's kind of how we're going to look through it as we read through these 11 verses. If you would like to read them with me, they'll be on the screens. It says this in verse one, keep me my God for in you, I take refuge. Say to the, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. I say of the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones in whom is my delight. Those who run after other gods will suffer more and more, and I will not pour out uh, libations of blood of, of such gods or to such gods or take up their names on my lips. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful ones see decay. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at my right hand. I love this, these 11 verses, as we study them, as we expound on them, as we, we look at them. I believe David, again, gives us a key, a secret of really what life is and how to live life effectively for God. In verse 1, it says, keep me my God, for in you I take refuge. Keep me my God, for in you. I take refuge. Keep me. Keep me. I love this. It's a concept of David. He's a little nervous about what's happening. We don't necessarily know what David was walking through, but in this period of when he's writing this, but we do know David's life. He walks through all kinds of trials. He walks through situations where King Solomon is trying to kill him. He's hiding in caves, and his own son at one point is trying to kill him. There's all these different things that are happening in David's life, and I love it. He starts the chapter. He starts this psalm with, listen, God, keep me, and in you I take refuge. What does this show us? It shows us from the very first thought, David shows us that we're, it's important to confide in God, confiding in God. We as a, as a culture call ourselves Christians. We are to be people that confide in God. I love this because when we use the term confide, we oftentimes confide in those we trust. Think about it. How often do you share your deep secrets with someone you don't trust? Uh, no, not only, uh, no, like, uh, no, 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 like, no, 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 
The reason why, because why? I share this with you. If I confide in you, I, don't, I can't trust you. And so next thing you know, you're gonna go share it with someone else. Well, I love this. David shows us from the very first scripture, we can trust in God because we can, this is why he confides. You, you confide in God because you trust God. And I love this. And the scripture says in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 7, to cast your cares on him for he cares for us. We cast our cares. We throw our cares. Listen, we, whatever we're walking through, whatever struggle we're going through, whatever fear or anxiety we may have, I'm gonna, I'm gonna cast it on God. I'm gonna confide in God. Why? Because I can trust him with my life. I love this. He says, keep me. Oftentimes what we can do in the scripture, we read this keep me thought and we're like, oh, does that mean like if he does something bad, did David think that God was just gonna throw him away? He wasn't gonna keep him. And that's not necessarily what David was talking about. In fact, David was talking more so about when he says, keep me, he was talking about protect him and preserve him and watch over him. That's what he's talking about. But oftentimes our theology, our theology, excuse me, and our own mindsets toward God can be this thought process. Well, we start our prayers with this thought process of, well, if I'm not good enough, God will just push me aside. If, I'm not, if I haven't been praying enough or reading enough, well, God may not value me or may not love me enough and then I may not get, get the things that I'm asking for and that's not the case at all. Just recently, this past week, uh, I have a daughter who's almost two years old and a son who is uh, about three months old. And we, my wife, Ashley, she was feeding Roman is his name and she was feeding him formula. And he, he was just, just loving life. You know what I'm saying? Y'all know three-month-olds, they're loving life when they're being fed. Everything else, praise God, we love them. You know what I'm saying? They need Jesus. It's okay. And she finishes up with the bottle, and then with, with Roman, there's a little bit left. And Winter's at this stage where everything she touches, everything she sees, she's got to put it in her mouth and taste. She's got to try it. It looks like it's decent. I got to try it. So she goes, runs over, grabs the bottle on the, that's by the chair. She grabs it. She puts it in her mouth, and immediately her new word is, ew. She just runs around everywhere saying, ew. She touches me, and she's like, ew. I'm like, no. Anyways, it doesn't matter. And so she says, ew, and so we kind of move on, do whatever, and Ashley finishes up with Roman, puts him down for a nap, and, and she, she starts looking for the bottle, and she says, she says, Jordan, have you seen the bottle? I said, no, I haven't seen the bottle. She said, Jordan, you had to have seen the bottle. Where'd you put the bottle? I was like, I haven't touched the bottle. I haven't seen the bottle. I don't know where the bottle is. And she's like, well, I didn't touch it, so you had to have touched it. Come on, married folks, you know what I'm talking about? Like, no, I didn't, I didn't even see it, you know what I'm saying? We, uh, we start looking all over the house for the bottle, can't find the bottle. We don't know what, what happens, to the happens to the bottle, but it's all good. About 45 minutes later, Ashley goes to throw something away. She opens up the trash can and there's the bottle. Winter, she tasted the bottle and immediately realized this has no value to me. It's gotta go in the trash. She threw the thing away and she threw it away. And here's what I did. As soon as Ashley, oh, I found the bottle. And I said, I told you I didn't touch the bottle. Come on, somebody. Here's the thing. As silly as that story may be, oftentimes that's how we look at it with God. Like, oh, well, I don't, I, don't, I don't carry value to him, and so he's just gonna toss me aside. And, oh, I, I'm not, I, I haven't been good enough, or I'm not that great of a Christian, or I haven't gone to church enough, or I haven't read my Bible enough, or I haven't prayed him, and so I'm just gonna, I'm just, he's gonna toss me aside. No, that's not the God that we serve. He loves us not because of something that we do, because of who he, but because of who he is. And I love this. We see this in the very first scripture in Psalms where David's trying to give us the secret to life. It's, listen, and confide in God. Why? Because he values you, not because of you, but because of who he is. We can confide in him. We can trust him. I love this. And we see in verse two, the scripture says, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. I say to you, you are my Lord. I say to you, you are my Lord. You're my Lord. 
He doesn't say, I say to you, you are the Lord. He says, you are my Lord. He makes it personal. As far as almost saying this, I understand that we, we, can, we can say that there's a God and we can say we believe in God and we can say there's a Lord and we believe in God and we believe in Lord, but it has to be personal where he is our Lord. What is David showing us? The secret to life, we have to confide in God, but then two, that we have to give up control to God. We give up control to him. He says, you are my Lord. Oftentimes in our generation, in our culture, in our society, as far as Christianity goes, here's what we do. We love God as Savior. We don't love God very much as Lord. And what I mean by that is giving him control and saying, okay, God, my life is yours. My agenda is yours. My desires are yours. My thought processes are yours. My ways are yours. My finances are yours. My relationships are yours. It's all yours. I'm giving up control. Why? Because it's when it's in my control, what I've seen in my life, when it's in my control, more than likely, it's going to shambles. It's going to fall into a bunch of shambles. If, if, when it's in his control, he leads me to life. And David knew this, so he says, it's, he's my Lord. I'm giving up control to him in my life. And when we say control, our culture, we oftentimes have this negative concept or this thought process of control. And when I say control, it's not like he's, we're saying that God now controls you, that, you're, that now every, you just, he's, you're just controlled and now you have, you're, you just, no, that's not what we're talking about. It's almost like the thought process of a remote control. People think this is how God is when we hear give up control. It's like, well, you're the remote control and whoever's behind the controls, then like everywhere they, they turn, you just got to, you know, you ever, y'all ever play with remote control? Y'all know what I'm talking about? And like, you're not really good at it. And so you, you slightly go to the right and all of a sudden the car just shoots to the right and hits the curb and breaks. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Just me. Okay, that's cool. That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about with, with God when we say giving up control is this. I'm choosing now to follow him. Jesus, all throughout the gospels, shows us a picture of what it looks like to give up control. He tells people, come and follow me. It's now I'm saying, Jesus, you're in control of my life, meaning you're leading my life. You're leading my finances. You're leading my relationships. And if you're not taking me in that direction, I'm not going. Why? Because I'm following you. And that's what, it looks, that's what it looks like to have Jesus and to have God is, he is my Lord. It's not just my parents' Lord for young people in the room. There's only so long you can walk with your, in your relationship with God as, as being your parents' Lord. Those in relationships and dating, he's not your bo- just your boyfriend's Lord or your girlfriend's Lord. He's not just your wife's Lord or your husband's Lord. He has to be my Lord. He has to be Lord to me. Because here's what happens if, we, if, we, if, we, if we're basing our lives, if we're basing our decisions, if we're basing our beliefs, if we're basing our walk with him on someone else, here's what's going to happen. At some point, that person's going to let me down. And so now, because they let me down, now I'm going to crash and fall as well. Because my hope and my trust and my belief was not actually in God, but in someone else's belief in God. Does that make sense? And so it's so important that we see this, the concept of what David's saying in this psalm. I love it, this secret. He has this hidden gem of confiding in God, but then also not just confiding in God, giving up control and saying, you're my Lord. I love it. Psalms chapter 16 and verse three. We're just gonna take it verse by verse. It says, I say, to, say of the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones in whom is all of my delight. I say to the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones in whom are all my delight. David's given us this, this hidden secret and 
to life. And he says, you need, he shows us we need to confide in God and we need to give up control to God. But then also we need to have communion with others. Communion with others. I love this. He says, I say of the holy people, holy people, meaning people that were believing in God, people that were walking with God, they are the noble ones in whom is all of my delight. He delighted in spending relationship and communing and communion with other believers that, that, that were walking the same way. He said, this is my delight. For you and I, it's so vital. It's so important that we would be people that have communion with one another. It's so vital. This is why, and I don't want to make this big, huge deal, and uh, this sell on small groups, but this is why we do small groups. The purpose of small groups is not just to give people one more thing to do. The purpose of small groups is to allow us to gather together so we can build communion with one, community and communion and connection with one another. Why? Because whether we think we can or not, you, we are unable to successfully walk out in our relationship with God by ourselves. Whether we think we can or not, we are unable to successfully walk out in our relationship with God by ourselves. I've, I've heard, had people tell me, oh, well, no, I can, I can serve God from my, from my couch. He's still my Lord. Yeah, that's great. That's, that could be true. That is true. God can still be your Lord on your couch. But here's what I do know. I do know that when life hits... And if you got nobody around you that's believing the same thing, here's what's going to happen. You're going to look to somebody else. The scripture says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 14, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? When we read this text, oftentimes we, this is talked about or spoken about with relationships, with boyfriends and girlfriends, with husbands and wives. And don't, don't get into a relationship unequally yoked. And that is true. It is very true. You should not get into a relationship that's unequally yoked to someone that doesn't believe the same things you do. Absolutely, that's what the Bible is saying. But it also here, Paul is saying that he says in fellowship, in partnership, it's the, my, my, the friendships we walk in. Does that mean we can't be friends with people that aren't, don't believe in God? No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is the people that we are truly doing life with should be people that are walking and believing and, and pursuing the same things that we are trying to pursue. Why? Because this scripture, this, this concept when it says yoked, I know it sounds aggressive, but in the biblical text, what was happening is there would be two ox. And Paul's writing this because people know this. In this text, there would be two ox, and they would put this yoke that would go over both ox, and so, or oxen. They would put it over both of them, and here's what would happen. If one was weaker than the other, what would happen, if they were unequally yoked, if one was weaker, smaller, not as large, whatever, over time, the person, the farmer, would be on the plow, and he would be looking straight, trying to control the, the ox. And what would happen was, it, over time, it, they would not even realize, but because the one was stronger than the other, the, over time, it would, it would start, the path would start to lean in the, plow, in the crop that they were trying to lay. And so they wouldn't know until the farmer would turn around with the plow, he wouldn't even know that his line was, was off. What is Paul saying in the scripture? He's saying it's the same thing. See, oftentimes he's not saying you we're better than people that aren't believers. That's not what he's saying. Oh my gosh, that is so not what he's saying. He's not saying, oh, Christians are more elite and so they should never hang out with unbelievers. That's not what he's saying at all. What he's saying is if we're walking together, connected with one another, the people that are unbelievers, what's gonna happen is over time, we're gonna get swayed to live or believe things that are not of God and we're not even going to realize because we're just walking along with them and so he says listen I want you to be equally yoked with people that are believers have communion with people that are loving God that are serving God that are following God that are believing in a, in a healthy marriage that believe in raising godly kids I need you to get in, in, in equally yoked with them because if you do that 
you're going to find life. If he's not saying that we're better than, oh my gosh, we're not better than. Somebody that thinks they're better than immediately shows that they are not better than. We're not better than unbelievers. That's not what it is. What what we are doing is we're saying we understand that God desires for us to live a certain way. And the scripture says bad company corrupts good character. And so I understand young people in the room, this is so important that you connect yourself with the right people in your life. I'm not just talking about boyfriend, girlfriend, but friendships. Because if you're not careful, when times get tough, you're gonna find yourself swaying in a direction that maybe you never thought you would sway because you don't have the stable, strong believers around you. Equally yoked. David knew this. He says, I delight in communion with one another. With, with, with godly, holy people. What is holy? We, oh, like people that are holy rollers? No, it's not what he's saying. What he's saying is ho- holy, meaning ones that say, I believe in God, but not only do I believe in God, I'm choosing to live a life for God. Communion with God. Psalms chapter four, 16 and verse four. It says, those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. I would not pour out uh, libation on blood, excuse me, of blood to such gods or take up their names on my lips. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me even at night. My heart instructs me. David is writing this psalm, giving us a secret, hidden gem of life and he, says, he shows us to confide in God, to give up control to God, to, to understand that we have to have communion with one another. But then also he shows us the importance of contentment in God. Contentment. I love this because in verse 4 it says, those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. Like, oh, well, we're not running after other gods. That's not, we're not saying that. Here's what happens. Anything that we put above God in our pursuits becomes an idol. Okay, so if we put our job above our pursuit, we're pursuing money or, or uh, our job above pursuing God, now that becomes an idol. Now that becomes a God. So what David is saying is anything I put before God, anybody that pursues things other than God, more than God, they're gonna continue to suffer more and more. Oh my goodness, if this isn't true. When we pursue things that are, are, uh, that, that are not God first, and if we pursue things, and it's not, not bad to pursue things, that's not what I'm saying, but if we're putting it above God, what can happen is it causes us to suffer more. It causes us to be, have more anxiety or more stress or more whatever it may be that, in our lives. And I love it. David then says, he says, listen, Lord, you alone are, are my, my portion in my cup. <laughs> you alone, meaning this, Nothing else that I could possibly pursue is what satisfies me. See, being content, excuse me, being content in the Lord is this. It's saying, one, Lord, I know you satisfy me where I am. And then two, Lord, I know there's security in you. You satisfy and you secure me. Let me show it to you. Verse six, the boundary lies have fallen from me in pleasant places and surely I have a delightful inheritance. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. God, you satisfy me. He says, Lord, you alone are my portion in my cup. You satisfy me. God, no one else satisfies me. You are my portion. You are my cup. You are the one. Where you have me, it may not look the way that I want it to look. 
It may not be as fun as I think it should be. It may not be as exciting as I would like. It may be in a season of waiting, but God, where you have me, I know is where, if I'm following you, where you have me means it's where you want me because you're doing something in me or through me. And so God, I'm gonna be content. And when from being content, I'm gonna be satisfied. Then I have, I understand, he says, I have a delight Lightful, I'm delighted in my inheritance, meaning this, my security, my security. Our inheritance is what? If we believe in Jesus, our inheritance is heaven. So here's what we do. Now we're secure with our eternal lives. So now we have this perspective of where when things happen, I'm not gonna get as worked up. Why? Because I understand my security and my satisfaction is in Christ and Christ alone. I love this in verse seven. He says, I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at, my, even at night, my heart instructs me. I'll say this. It's easy to praise when we're content. It's easy to praise when we're content. But I'll say this. It's real easy to complain when we're discontent. It's easy to get complaining where we start because we're not content with where we are or what's happening or what we have or what we should have and we start to complain. But it's easy to say, God, you are my delight because I know I have an inheritance. I'm secure in you. God, I know that you satisfy me. I'm content with what you've given me and what I'm doing and where I am. God, I'm praising you. And then he says, I love it. He says, in my, even at night, my heart instructs me. Even at night. In the New King James Version, it says, in my night seasons. You know, there may be people in the room or online that maybe sometimes in the middle of the night you wake up and you've been diagnosed with whatever and you think that because of that and whatever, that's fine. But here's what I, I know, that sometimes I wake up in the middle of the night, what I've chosen to do is if I get woken up in the middle of the night and I can't go back to sleep, here's what I do. I'm just gonna open my word. I'm gonna spend time with God, I'm gonna pray. Ash will wake up in the middle of the night, three or four o'clock in the morning sometimes, and, she, and the, the, the lamp's on, and she's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm just spending time with Jesus. Because here's what we often do. We oftentimes will, well, well, we can't sleep at night, so we just turn the TV on. We turn that streaming platform on. We think in our brains, well, here's what I'll do. I'll just veg out and watch all these violent shows, and that'll give me peace of mind. I'll watch all these docu-series about true crime on how this person broke into this person's house and I'm here by myself and that's gonna really give me peace to sleep. It's so important. David shows us a, a picture. It's so cool. It shows us a picture and as we're walking with, it, with God. It shows us a picture of us being content and saying, here's my contentment. I, I, I'm, I'm grateful for where you have me and so I'm gonna praise you. And so even in the night seasons, God, my, you're going to instruct me and I'm going to praise you. Why? Because I know that where you have me is where you, if, if I'm following you, where you have me is where you want me. Psalms chapter 16 and verse 8 says, I keep my eyes always on the Lord and with him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest Secure. I keep my eyes on the Lord with him at my right hand. I will not be. I will not be. I will not be. I didn't even know that they were singing this song that we sang today and they didn't know what I was teaching on. So I know God's at work. I love when he does that. And, you know, we sing a song of, you know, every, when everything around me is shaken. 
I don't know the rest of the words. I read the screens like you do. So don't hate on me now. Because he won't. That was the Holy Spirit. Sometimes I can't remember what I'm talking about up here, okay? Just give me a break. We sing this song about when everything around me is shaken. And the text actually says this, that I've never been more glad. When everything around me is shaken, I've never been more glad that my faith is in Jesus. I love that we just sang this because David says this. He says, listen, my confidence, we're talking about secrets of life. He gives us all these different things. He shows us his confidence in God. He says, no matter what around me is shaking, I will not be shaken. We were all sang this song. We all got hyped. And when everything around me is shaken, I've never been more glad that my trust and my hope is in Jesus. But really, if we were being honest with one another, it's real easy to sing that on a Sunday morning when other people are singing and the band's jamming, jamming around and people are jumping and the drums are slamming. And it's real easy to do that here. But on Monday, when boss comes in and says, hey, I don't know if I'm gonna be able, be able to keep, keep giving you work because we're running out of money. And, or, or when when a relationship breakup happens, we're not really necessarily singing. When everything around me is shaking, I've never been more, I don't know how it goes, but y'all know what I'm saying. I've never been more glad to put my trust in Jesus. In fact, this is what we should probably, our life is saying to others around us. When everything around me is shaking, I'm just as shook as everyone else. We are not meant, if you call yourself a Christian, a believer, we are not meant to be shaken like the world shakes. We are not meant to shake like the world shakes. Young people, I'm talking about in the club too. You know what I mean. We sing these songs and we say these spiritual terms of, oh yeah, I'll never be shaken. But then what happens is when we get into real life and the job's not going the way we want or old girl says something about us and next thing you know, our whole life is shook. Now the whole day's ruined and now everything's going wrong. And wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. We have a confidence that is greater than in the moment that we face. If we don't show people confidence in God, who will? It's great to sing it. One of the reasons why we sing it here is to encourage you to walk out and live your life throughout the week that I ain't going to be shaking today. I love David. Oh, I love David's heart that says no matter what's around me, I know that I have a God by my side, so I ain't getting shook. And David went through some stuff. David was trying to be killed. David was literally being like his, his own son was trying to kill him. He says, I'm not going to be shaken. Why? because he had confidence in something greater than what this planet has to offer. Confidence in God. I love it because a few, many years ago now, my brother and I went on this fishing trip and we went way out, a few hours out, like way out, and we were fishing and we got to a honey hole and I mean, we were catching fish like crazy. For those that like to fish, this was one of those days. You know what I'm saying? Like it was this, this was that day. Well, we see this storm rolling in, and if you've ever been on the water in a storm, it's fun. Not at all. Anyway, so we see the storm coming, and we're like, we need to go. We were catching fish. Like, but we really need to go. But we were catching fish, so here's what we say. You know what? 
We'll be all right in the storm. Let's keep catching the fish. They're here. We're staying. So the storm rolls in. It's raining. It's thundering. It's lightning. And the waves get so bad. True story. Waves get so bad that the boat's rocking so much that we can't even stand up. So literally, we have to, on our knees, we have to be on our knees on the boat, and we're still catching fish. So we stayed. You know what I'm saying? The waves were so horrible and so bad that we literally, we, on our own, in our own strength, we couldn't stand up. We had to be on our knees. And here's what's so interesting. Here's what's so interesting. As I was studying this, and I read this text, this is the story God brought me to. Why? Because oftentimes this is how we look and how, how we live our lives. When the world's shaking around us, I love that he says in the scripture, I keep my eyes on the Lord. And here's what happens. What I put my eyes on more than likely is what I'm gonna be secure in. So what happens is we see it with Peter when Peter's walking on water. He starts to look at the waves and the wind and we start to look at the things around us and it causes us to get shaken. And here's what happens. In our own strength, we can't do it. But we were never meant to. Here's what we were meant to do. And on our knees, we find security. On our knees, we find confidence. On our knees, at the, at the feet of Jesus, is where we find confidence. You want peace in your life from the storms that are happening in your life? You want peace from the stress of the anxiety of this world, of all the things that may be happening in the news reports and, and the different things you hear and the different things you see? We have to be a people that get back to getting on our knees. And when I say getting on our knees, it can be actually practically literally on your knees, but it doesn't have to be. It's a sign or a symbol of me saying we have to get back to being confident and praying and seeking God in our lives. And like, oh, well, that's for like the really, really like church people. Or, oh, oh, that's like, 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 that's like really spiritual people or like really, 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 like that's like for the pastors to do that stuff. And that's the problem with our culture and our society. That's what we've gotten to. We've gotten to the place of where we think prayer and seeking God in a deep level is just for the pastor or just for the spiritual elite. And this is why our culture is in shambles. Here's what I know. You, you can't, we can't fight evil in our own strength. We cannot fight evil in our own strength. How do we fight evil? put my faith and my trust in you. I'm gonna seek you. I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna see. Here's what we do though as a culture and a society. It's easy for us. We'll just, we'll, we'll, we'll do our, we'll, we'll make our best effort and we'll post things about what we don't like and, and we, and that's all great, but that's not gonna defeat evil. What is gonna defeat evil? There's victory in one person and one person alone and that is Jesus. How do we defeat evil? How do you defeat darkness? How do you defeat depression? How do you defeat anxiety? How do you defeat lust? How do you defeat identity crisis? We have to get back to the place as a, as a Christian culture of people that are seeking God, confident in him enough that we would seek him with all of our heart and mind. He is the one that brings us victory. No matter what we see or face, we will not be shaken. Why? Because we know we can put our trust in him and so we're confident in who he is and what he's doing. Psalms chapter 16 and verse 10 as I close today. Because you will not abandon me in the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful ones see decay. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill with me fill with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. This psalm David calls a miktam psalm. And what does that mean? It's this, it means this hidden or the secret 
We, so we look through the lens of this secret of life. He shows us it's so vital that we confide in God, that, that give up control to God, to be in communion with one another, to, to be people that are content where we are in God, to, to be people that are confident in him. And then he says in verse 10 and 11, he gives us a picture to remember God's covenant. See, I love this because the scripture says right here, he says, you won't abandon me. He was actually quoting scripture. Joshua was having a conversation with God and God tells him, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. David may have been reminding God, don't forget what you said. Don't forget your covenant. More than likely, that's not what was happening. More than likely, he was reminding himself of God's promise that, hey, you never left them. You're not gonna leave me. You'll never leave me. And this is why it's so vital that we would be people to know God's promises that we would be people that as we read the scripture, as we study the word, that we know God's promises for ourselves. Why? Because it gives us an opportunity to stand on his promises. This is incredible. These two verses are incredible. If you just want something practical for those that are parents or, or friends of people, you want something to pray verbally over your kids or verbally over your family members or verbally over your friends, this is an incredible two scriptures to pray. Show it to you again through that lens. Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. Lord, you won't abandon my children to darkness. Lord, when darkness is collapsing all around them and we don't see a way of light, God, I thank you, you're not going to abandon them. God, my friend who's caught up in so many different things, God, I'm so grateful of your promise and your covenant that you won't abandon them in their time of darkness. Nor would you let your faithful ones see decay. We can look at this and think, oh, he's talking about his body decaying, but technically he says, your faithful one decay. Meaning this, God, you're not gonna let my faithfulness decay. God, I, I thank you that you're not gonna let my children's faithfulness, they're gonna learn from a young age. And God, I thank you they're gonna remain faithful for the rest of their lives to you. Lord, I thank you for my friend that God, they have so many different temptations when they go to their school or they go to that job. God, I thank you that their faithfulness towards you is not gonna decay. Why? Because you're with them. You make known to me the path of life. God, I thank you that you're giving them wisdom. God, you're giving them direction. Lord, you're showing them the path to life. God, you fill them with joy. God, give them joy so deep in their hearts. It's not about something that they accomplish on this planet, but it's because their relationship and with you. And then you give them eternal pleasures. I thank you, God, for eternal life that you've blessed them with, that they're gonna believe in you all the days of their lives. It's an incredible two verses that I would encourage you. Tattoo it on your forehead if you got to, you know what I'm saying? Don't do that, don't do that, don't. But it's an incredible two verses to pray over your friends, your family members, your children, your spouse even. David gives us this secret and just this small 11 verses, secret to life. Confide in him, give control to him have communion with each other, be content where we are, be confident and know that we can trust God, stand on him, and then remember his promises and his covenant to us. And I love this, because in the middle of this secret gym, David actually gives us an even greater secret. I wanna show it to you as we close today. It says in verse eight and through 11, we just read, I wanna read it to you one more time. It says, I keep my eyes always on the Lord, with him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, 
nor will you let your faithful ones see decay. You make known to me the path of life, and you will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. See, David was giving us a secret to life, but he was giving us even a deeper secret than that. David, right here in this, this, these three, three verses, he gives us a picture of Christ. He gives us a picture of Christ. We just read that text probably three or four different times, and I want to show it to you now in Acts chapter 2, where Peter, after the day of Pentecost, he goes up and he begins to speak and teach people about the resurrection of Christ. And here are the words that he speaks, the very words that he speaks in chapter 2 and verse 25. Check this out. This is absolutely incredible. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me because he is, he is at my right hand. I will not be, I will not be, sounds familiar. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest and hope, sounds familiar. Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, sounds familiar. You will not let your Holy One see decay, sounds familiar. You have made known to me the path of life, sounds real familiar. You will fill me with joy in your presence, sounds real familiar. Then he says this, like, oh, Peter was just quoting scripture and he was just doing his thing. No, watch what he says right after this in verse 29, fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, check this out. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. David and Jesus, many believe were about a thousand years apart. A thousand years before, David is writing this psalm about the secret to life and God, the Holy Spirit, breathes on it and gives him an even greater, deeper secret of the revelation of Christ to come a thousand years later. And I love this because we say the secret to life. Oh my goodness, if there's no greater life than Jesus, Jesus then comes. And the Bible says that Jesus said this. He said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the he says, I, I've come that I would give life and life more abundantly. He says in John 3, 16, we all know it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will have eternal David, oh my goodness, the Psalms are so incredible. I hope that as you read with us that you would study and see God in the scripture. He's writing this text and in the text a thousand years before, it points to Jesus. Why? Because everything in the scripture always points to Jesus. Why? Because he is the secret to life. He's the secret to abundant life and he's the secret to eternal Oh my goodness, this psalm, when God was speaking to me, this psalm, it's such an incredible psalm. I encourage you. Oh, let's walk out practically these different steps that we see David doing. But more than anything, let us put our hope in Jesus because we know he is the one that gives life, eternal life and abundant life. As we walk through these psalms together, Oh, I pray that you would join us. I'm telling you, I believe it with all my heart. We'll be so refreshed as we begin to study, as we begin to read, as we begin to quote, as we begin to memorize, as we begin to, to, to journal. I'm telling you, the Psalms are so rich. I encourage you to join with us because I know this. If we do this, we're gonna see life like never before. Every scripture, every verse, every word 
It all points back to the true one who gives life, and that's Jesus. Amen? Amen. Can we pray today, Father?